Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. On this week's podcast, we talk to Angie Moxon, founder and CEO of The Fourth Angel, and Sarah Perry, who is managing director of The Fourth Angel. Previously, as many of you may well know, Angie was founder and CEO of Three Monkeys, which, as many of our readers will also know, was sold to Edelman and became part of Zeno. Angie founded The Fourth Angel, I should say, in March 2019. Sarah joined the company in December 2019, as I say, as Managing Director. The Fourth Angel has a fee income of about 1.6 million and is described by Angie as a multi-sector brand consultancy business. Before we start, just to make sure you've all taken a look at our new series of webinars, including what is your ESG risk, how COVID has changed crisis communications, your PR tech stack, your PR planning guide and PR analytics. All the details of all of those webinars are on the homepage of PRMoment.com. And finally, thanks so much to our PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Angie and Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Uh, now, come on in, Angie. Shall I come to you first? Um, post your Three Monkeys exits, why have you decided to do it all over again and launch the Fourth Angel? I'm a glutton for punishment, Ben. No, I mean, so um, as I think most people know who know me, I didn't want to sell Three Monkeys. I was kind of, my hand was forced because my ex is in a rock band and met a thinner, younger Brazilian groupie on tour and left me and my three little monkeys. And that was expensive. And yeah, so I, I sold at a time when I didn't really want to. I wasn't really in a good place, to be honest, because I was having a lot of emotional and legal pressure um, in, my, in my house and home. And so I'm, and as ever with these sales, you know, you're told it's going to look like this and it never does look like that. It's always a very different experience once you're over the other side of it. Uh, I managed two of a four-year earnout, um, and what I realised in that time is that a I, ha- I shouldn't have sold, quite frankly, but b I am unemployable. So the end of the three monkeys uh, story for me, which had been my fourth child, something a labour of love, you know, meant that I hadn't had maternity leave, had no holiday really in twenty, you know, fifteen years, whatever it was. The legacy was not how I wanted it to be, and whilst I did make enough money to retire. I'm not the retiring type, um, and I love what I do. I love I love the, the world of communications. I love people. I love intellectual challenges. And so after a three-month rest, I thought, you know what, let's dip my toe in the water, which is what I started to do. And it sort of started from there, though I have to say the first sort of – before I met Sarah, it was not feeling like a thing of joy. It felt, it didn't feel right to me. And I was very close to kind of throwing the towel in on it. And then, duh, 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 I met Miss Perry. And well, that's interesting. So how did you two meet then? Let's, let's go on to that then, shall we? Because you didn't really, well, you didn't know each other before, did you? No, I mean, we were introduced. I mean, I don't, obviously my angel name is Angel of Hobnobbing. So we, we met whilst doing that. Um, we were introduced by a friend of ours, a mutual friend who is, was on the, at the time, was on the leadership team at News UK. Right. And uh, yeah, he, he, we were out and about. And um, I was looking for some insight on a project I was working on as a, as a consultant. 
And he was like, you two have got to meet. And I think um, when people saw that we made a connection, I think the the, uh, the response was brace. <laughs> and I think people knew what was, what, to, what was to come. Okay. And I mean, just, Angie, you touched on it there, but uh, what, what stimulates you now then? Because it, is it the, you know, you don't need to be doing this, do you? So it's, you know, I mean, I, I work to, to, to put a plate of food on the table and, 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 and to make, to make a few quid but you're it's a bit different for you now then is it yeah and it has been for a long time to be fair um pre the sale of edelman i had enough money to retire um i've always been one of those people who's blessed um I, i'm not bothered about money i don't i don't i've never done a job to earn money i do jobs because i love doing what i do and the money has followed uh, which is which is a blessing and gives you the options but no i mean i should in theory be wearing a pair of plaids and you know swinging a golf club somewhere but I, I'm just I don't know I'm, I'm just one of those people which who needs a lot of stimulation around her and my brain is my um my my, my best um asset um and I just I just like I say I love people and I love the challenges of working with so many different people in so many different sectors and, and really helping businesses get off the ground or fly. So, you know, where, where I come in and where Sarah comes in, it's, it's beyond PR, way beyond PR. It's even beyond communications. It's, it's really where we operate when we're at our optimum. And I've always felt this is you're operating really a management consultancy zone. You're looking at how you help a business typically with a communications lens, obviously, because if you get the comms right in a business, my view is, you can't fail. You know, it's where, where companies go wrong is because they don't get the brand authentically nailed, authentically communicated internally and externally. And then you go, can go from a brand heaven to brand hell or never get out of brand hell. So that's kind of, and I, and I am just a very competitive person, I guess, with myself. I'm not competing against anybody else. I think I'm still trying to please my dad. who's 85 now, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. That's my Your dad must be pretty pleased. Well, he's one of those. He's a very stoic Yorkshireman and uh, he's very dry. So it's never quite enough, you know. <laughs> so my, my eldest daughter, Taluna, has just got into Cambridge. When he heard the news, he said, I expect a first, darling, Taluna. So he's very much, the bar keeps getting higher and I always jump higher because I love my daddy. Right. Great guy. So just, you hinted at it there then, and I don't know whether Sarah, you want to come in on this, but the... Your your position this kind of you've clearly got a corporate comms background, Angie. But then you're you, you sort of had this premise, do you, that you've been an, an underpaid management consultant for most of your career? Is that kind of where you're you're sitting? And therefore, your your positioning is quite an interesting positioning for the for the fourth angel. Have I got that right? Yeah, you have. I mean, Sarah will come in because she needs to gobble the north here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe that really great comms consultants, PR, people don't understand what PR is. They think it's press releases. It's reputation management. We all know that, right? And at its core, every business that's going to succeed needs really strong reputation management. And that goes from boardroom to showroom. It goes from your internal audiences, who are, of course, your brand ambassadors, to your end customer. And, you know, is reputation manage, managers where now 
navigating the very many different tides in, in an uncharted water of a, of a company wherever it sits. So, so when we're operating at our best, we are management consultants. And the amount of times this will be a, a story familiar to many of your listeners that, you know, we go in and often uh, clear up um, mess that other consultancies, management consultancies have made, or they've done a great job over here, but they've not considered a 360 perspective. So yes, I think in, in general, people in our industry are poorly paid management consultants if they're good at what they do. Go on, so so what what is your bit coming to that then? Well, I was there's, I mean, my lens in this business and why Angie and I work really well together um, is coming from a media owner, publisher background, and very much with a commercial lens. It's I've always been very much focused on what the bottom line outcome looks like. You know, so where are we going to impact uh, revenue to the best effect for that business? And I think you know when when you've got your eye on that, you know, you kind of you retrofix almost, you know, the plan to get people there. Um, and I think that's the marriage of sort of Angie's brain and my brain as to why this is probably something, you know, this is a, a different thing coming to market with. And when we talk about consultancy, it's different levels of consultancy that people are getting. So it's that sort of um, creative brand thinking wrapped um, in a commercial shell, you know, or the other way around, however you want to put it. Uh, <laughs> So when you say in a commercial sh shell, what, what are you thinking of there when it comes to that, that balance between paid and earned then? Well, you know, media owners um, over the last few years have had to kind of shift the way that they, they operate um, and they've taken the opportunity to diversify their revenue streams. So obviously content now goes out, whether it's print, digital, you know, VODs, experiences, events, apps, mobile, you know, there the are different ways the audience are now consuming content. And I'm talking about the, the, the content that has that trust equity against it rather than the kind of um, you know, user-generated content. And the and editorial, really, where people are consuming that content is the bottom end of that marketing funnel. You know, so the, there's an area there where yeah, when you're having the right on the front end of that marketing, as in the consumers are there. You know, the consumers are there consuming the content. So if you're if you're if the brand partnerships are done in the right way, be it having the right story on the page um, or having brand placements in there, you know, whether it's like product on page or whether it's partnership. You know, and it could be a blend of all of them. You're in the right place where consumers are consuming that content at the time when they're thinking, you know, about be it a holiday or, you know, a beauty product, whatever it is. And now the way that media owners have sort of pivoted their businesses is as an opportunity to sort of land a sale in that moment. Um, and I think because there's one thing that Angie's, you know, way and beyond anything I've seen she absolutely understands how to how to nail that story narrative you know so for a publisher having someone like Angie come in and go well this is where the way the brand the story would land here you know it, it's kind of a gift because you don't have to think about it um, and then my relationship just in terms of understanding the media understanding the pressures that are on publishers you know where is there is that give get between great stories and also a commercial outcome we're able to sort of blend that to, to land kind of more impactful campaigns for brands that work not just for the brand, but also for the media owner, you know, so you're more likely to get richer content and a richer experience for the end, end user who ultimately is the one who's, you know, and for the media. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, of course, we still do straight earned without any paid. Yeah. Of course we do that. And we do that really well. You know, it's, it's everything I did at Three Monkeys Plus, we're, we're winning awards for that. But where we're making a difference, I think, is where we'll talk to a client and we'll look at, you know, their overall business objective within that, the marketing and, and comms objectives, looking at their budget and saying, well, look, if we know a sweet spot, I hate that word, but I'm going to use it, to get your audience is here, here and here, rather than broadcast across, you know, however many channels with an advertising media buy, as would be traditional, a traditional way of looking at it, why don't we just hone in and do something really bespoke? So the editorial has to stand up on its own, otherwise it wouldn't yeah. be good enough to appear on a page in any channel. But that said, if we then say to that media partner, well, look, you know, and, and uh, you know, an influencer partnership, a celebrity, whatever, if we can then build that story and add on these elements, ultimately what we've pro- proven um, in the last 12 months in particular, I'd say, is that for the money that the client has, the value they can rinse out of that and the impact it can have on their business is huge. So, for example, we did one partnership that was very cost-effective, Um, to promote a new brand and a new range of products, which within two and a half hours of going live sold out. Nice problem to have. Um, and we can we can cite many other examples. So it's looking at, you know, really where I, I believe, you know, PR, the reputation management teams should always have been right in the front of cent- and centre of any marketing spend from looking at, for example, a creative, you know, looking at a storyboard before it goes into production, because guess what? There might be something that a creative agency would not have seen because they don't wear the policemen and women's hats that we have to, looking at everything 360, through to you know working with media buying agencies to really innovate and and you know because the earned piece is often forgotten you know we have been for too long the poor cousins and yet because of that 360 you know the need to promote and protect we really are the best i would argue consultants to have in your in your marketing team and your your business team your business governance team to be front and center of everything that you do um, How far do you want to take this, Anandji? What, what are your ambitions for the Fourth Angel? Is it, do, do you want it to? Do, do you have a, a sort of a size in mind, or, or or not? Yeah, we've already booked our wee work on the moon, for example. Um, you know, listen, I've never. You know me, Ben. I've never had a business plan. I don't. I don't believe in business plans, to be honest. I believe when you get to a certain line, you have to sit down and do a budget boring meeting but but no I mean my view is it'll be as big and as amazing as as we want it to be it's not it's Sarah and I Sarah's now my business partner um so she owns some of the business as well and I think our view is look we we've just got a vision to do great work with great people and that means great talent working with us and great clients and we're really blessed at the moment to have attracted many without a pitch I have to say just a load of brilliant companies who just want to do something better mm-hmm. um we're, we're you know we've got we're, we're launching two new agencies over the next um two months um which are specialist agencies within our um our existing that the one is within our existing agency one is a collective of other agencies that we really rate and respect we want to work with 
Um, and the other thing that we have um, within the fourth angel that we haven't really announced, but you can have it exclusively, is um, a thing called Seraphim. And Seraphim is our brains trust. And in Seraphim are a load of people that Sarah and I love and respect who we've worked with over the many years we've been doing our various gigs. Um, and they are people who are really bright, um, either from a discipline perspective. So, for example, BJ Cunningham, my old mate, he's in there as an international brand guru. Um, through to some very sector experienced people. So, for example, we've also got Sir Ian Livingstone in there, who I met when he was chairman of IDOS when I launched Tomb Raider. So Ian's in there as a gaming and um, entertainment guru as well, uh, but also for his gorgeous sageness, his, his wisdom that, you know, somebody who's gone through what he's gone through from launching Games Workshop to where he is now building academies. Um, and then the whole load of... Sorry. And the idea being that they're they're senior specialists who you can you can yeah. lean on as and when you need to. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's people exactly. that we can sort of dip in on their passion, enthusiasm, and intellect. Who again don't necessarily need to work. You know, they're not doing this sort of nine to five gig anymore. However, they still get really excited by great projects and working with good people. Exactly. Um, and because of you know. We've gone. It created the extended family family of the fourth angel. Um, it's it's great that we can kind of work with them and, and have collaboration. Yeah, no, it's de- it's definitely a model that works. That one, isn't it? It's de- yeah. uh, go on, Ed, you 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 teased us with a few other little bits in that sentence. So that you, you're launching two other agencies. We I need to come back to you on that one. What's what's that? What's that bit then? Well, so so we've got two two new things we're about to launch, and um, I can't tell you uh, today, unfortunately. Otherwise, um, I'd have to um, uh, cuddle you, <laughs> and that's not allowed in COVID. Um, but one of them is um, just us podding off with um, just to tickle you. It's a consultancy that has absolute specialism in addressing a very particular and challenging. Um, area of comms and then the other one is again I can't tell you yet um, but is a um, a collective and it's a network of agencies who can offer an end-to-end service with a particular um, uh, proposition in mind and and you know all of this Ben is you know you say what gets me out of bed it's people who excite me I love working with really talented people and my view is that you know uh, if I can bring a, a, an A team, the best band in the universe, you know, a mashup of Radiohead and Kate Bush and the Cocteau Twins and, you know, uh, Fontaine's DC, for example, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm blessed with Sarah. Our, our Black Book and our network is such that we're, we're, we're able to do that. And, and we're meeting people every day. I mean, we met a 21-year-old lady um, these last few weeks who has blown our mind. So we're trying to get this lady involved and, and getting what and helping us do what we do, which is always just doing brilliant work. Big agencies by by their nature, no matter how brilliant they are, as Edelman and Zeno are brilliant, you 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 can't be agile and you cannot sort of you know surf the wave every day in the way that I think clients need and want. Because you, you, you're you're a big tanker and tankers take a while to turn around. And so you become a whale and we're like, we're not a whale, we're not a shark, we're a dolphin brand, I'd say. We're, we're very much that kind of little dolphin troops, you know, go, going in and out of the water every day, you know, being, yeah, just, just doing things differently, I hope. Yeah, and I think, Ben, to your earlier point, when you said, you know, what's the ambition for the business? I think, again, to reinforce Andrews is back, it's, it's we kind of 
gravitate towards different people or people tend to gravitate towards us and then projects are born out of it. And I very much think we're an agency that is built on this, you know, sort of people first and people, our talent, breed the culture and then the culture ultimately will drive the revenue growth. Um, and it's it's kind of, it's it's that simple. So it's just, it joins the band. Uh, just moving on, Sarah, to the, um, we were chatting before uh, about... I suppose the, how consumer publishing is changing um, a little bit. Uh, and I've certainly seen this when I've, I've talked to people in the last, well, fact, yeah, I guess it's definitely picked up momentum since the start of COVID, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. The model and the importance of, of, I suppose, affiliate relationships and e-commerce, it, mm. it, it has the potential to really make some significant changes and improvements, I should say, to the consumer publishing, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to uh, the comments I made earlier. It's it's really simply about media owners make, taking the opportunity to diversify their revenue streams. Um, and because they own that relationship, you know, with those audiences, um, it's, it's just a, another way of monetizing them. You know, the old model of newsstand sales or subscription sales have dropped off. You know, ad dollars don't come in the way that they used to. Um, and I think media owners are just working a bit more more smartly and harder um, with with brands, you know, to deliver that sort of end solution where where it's you know there can be collaborative revenue streams coming in um, from that sort of you know um, digital stable of offerings, be it e-commerce or affiliate um, or skin links or whatever it is. Um, and you know, the more media owners diversify how they get their content out to market, um, as I referenced earlier, you know, be it via an app or a mobile or an experience or an event, you know, brands will always be able to collaborate in order to benefit from that. You know, and there's a revenue stream to be had there. Um, and I think as more people have moved on into this sort of, as we as we say, it's you know, it's clicks, not bricks you know, now for the majority of retailers, I think brands are becoming more cognizant of how they can um, really leverage those relationships with audiences online through, you know, equity, trust content um, and yeah. monetize them. I was chatting to, I, can't, I, won't, I won't try and pretend I can remember exactly which publisher it was, but it was a con, it was consumer... Um, Publisher, and they said, I think they said something like their their e-commerce revenues were up 100, sorry, 324 percent or something like that since the start of COVID. So you know, it's a, it's it's a gentle trend, is it? That you're seeing some pretty. I mean, obviously, I guess that's from a, low, a lowish base, but mm. there, uh, it's 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 a, okay. a trend it's that's really happening. And I think the, the more uh, sort of digitalized the content becomes and the, and more people you know are using because mobile really now is like first screen media where it used to be tv um and you know developing out apps and stuff you know it's just technology will drive it and people feel you know the safer people feel in that environment to shop you know the more it will take off and brands are becoming as more brands set up their own d2c channels obviously the more collaborations are going to happen because there doesn't need to be a third party in between, you yeah. know, these sort of, and those affiliate relationships can benefit both. So as the old ad model sort of changes, um, media owners will still benefit from that revenue coming from brands, but it will just come from a more of a sort of direct sales mechanic than it did as, you know, sort of the third party brand advertising. 
It stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, I know sub- subscription models have gone up, I think, in COVID, yeah. and that stands yeah. to reason as well. And I think, I guess the interesting thing for us is, you know, if you look at, I've got three kids, Tallulah 19, Delilah 15, and Judy's uh, 13 and a half. Now, of course... The other one. <laughs> they, uh, and, and Sarah's got Charlie, um, who's eight... Nine now. Nine now. Sorry, Auntie Angie, get a smack on the wrist. Um, but the so so what I'm interested in is seeing how brands engage and and looking at you know obviously Insta and TikTok in particular, like what's going to happen there, and when it comes down to trust and also around influencers. So. You know, it was no surprise to any of us in the PR industry that you could see, you know, influencers starting to um, have a backlash when they all buggered off to Dubai, for example, and were sending all pouty pictures from the beach when, you know, most of us were, you know, sat in our kitchen, you know, homeschooling and doing whatever we were doing. And I think it's very interesting at the moment to watch the landscape and, and the trusted brands who may not be relevant to the younger audience, but the younger audience don't have the, the deep pockets have got an opportunity to to re- and are take as sarah says grabbing it by the short and curlies and doing really well i mean i i would personally so for example if red magazine is one of my favorites and it is i would of course go and look at red shop and and be interested in what they've curated for me because they understand me because i buy their magazine and you trust them if you sit you trust them and i do i do and and i think interesting with facebook so you know i'm a heavy facebook user um but i am increasingly frustrated by the commercial uh i'm selling my soul to the devil is how it feels like so i'm starting to just ignore and block have you you noticed on facebook this is just a bit of a random one but you know when um so when you're in your content of, you know, whether it's red or something, you're in quite a safe environment, you know what I mean? There's that trust. And then you're on Facebook and it does, would you like to buy this? And you get like a onesie that's an inflatable. Have you oh, seen- I, I've ended up buying, <laughs> buying really bad knickers from China. And it's, you know, it's an impulse retail therapy moment. It catches me because I'm on Facebook, you know, late at night, early in the morning, because I'm a, a sad, lonely 55-year-old woman. And, uh, yeah, I'm buying all sorts of rubbish. And then, of course, you can't send it back. So I've just now said I'm not doing that anymore. I'm either going to do it with brands I trust, you know, uh, and that includes the magazine's e-commerce, e-commerce um, offering because it's safer and it's much Appropriate. I was working when it was originally owned by EMAP in partnership with Hachette Philippaki when Red first launched. Um, and it was, you know, middle youth, it was targeted for. And we launched one of the first online shops, and that would have been in the late 80s. And it was Red Direct Online, and it was a curated um, collection. You know, so I think some publishing houses have been dipping their toe in the water for quite some time, having seen this. And I think it's only really probably when online retailers started to get into content that suddenly people had to really up their game on what the experience was because the likes of ASOS with their sort of content teams and even Amazon now, you know, getting content teams in-house are going to inc- were encroaching on, you know, those relationships that publishers had, you know, those sacred relationships with their, with their readers. Yeah, Yeah, look at Sunday Times. I mean, they've been doing their wine club forever and a day. And they also do those things that now appeal to me that I used to scoff at when I was a younger woman. (laughs) 
The, no, the Orient Express trips. I really want to find a boyfriend to go on one of those lovely, you know, murder on the Orient Express things. That so they, what were we looking at the other day? Those heated sleeping bags for the office. Yeah, no, I know. Anyway, it's it's all very interesting, and I and I guess ultimately what I would say about you know the, where I've come from, it, there's always got to be a good story. So if there's no good story, there's no there's no point in doing anything. And I guess our job is to um, support clients strategically in terms of protecting and promoting their brands. And I guess where, where as Sarah's alluded to, if you're a media buyer or a creative agency, the creative agency comes up with a concept, the media buyer then you know, buys the t- airtime t- through which to broadcast it, shout about it. That means that you don't tend to get from those different um, camps a really bespoke, very finessed uh, thought f- around a particular campaign that it, by its nature is earned. So, you know, great campaigns should always have earned at the front and centre. And then with us now at the fourth angel, we look at that and it can live and breathe on its own. But if we wrap it into that commercial shell that Sarah alluded to, we've proven that we can do so many think more things, bigger, better, at great value. I mean, this is not, you know, bank breaking cost. It's just being savvy and it's being aware that, you know, there is a world, you know, it's not my view is that the world hasn't changed that much. It's just got a bit tougher for the media owners because ad revenues have gone down and the world's changed. But it was twas ever this, in my view, that if you had a big ad budget, you could never persuade a journalist to write the story exactly as you wanted to, but you certainly got a, 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 a the door was had a bit more WD forty on it. Yeah, I mean there is a real give get in that world, you know. Um and if if a brand is supporting you as a media owner, you know if it's the if it's an authentic brand for your audience, you know, and um, you're going to support it. It's you know it's just it's just how it works. <laughs> the um, just finally, guys, just just talk to me about Fourth Angel because I I'm just trying to work it out in my mind. Really, you you are a PR business, really, aren't you? As far as like, but you but it's with a bit of a twist. Is that is that how you're positioning it? How would you? We, we des- I mean, we we describe it currently as integrated comms born out of PR, which um, was how Zeno described Three Monkeys, um, and I I quite like that. Um, uh, and I, I, I think we're actually delivering that. But I think, you know, as we grow, I think we, I think, and I haven't got a smart answer for you, sadly, today, Ben, but I'll have a think about it. I think we're cra- kind of creating a new category. And I think all the good agencies that I really respect out there are doing that. We happen to call ourselves com stroke PR because, you know, d- we've been boxed. But I think if you look at a lot of agencies, so, for example, us winning three campaign awards yesterday is a great example like other great agencies out there where you know we are it's the blurred line piece you know we, we're blurring the lines and have been i mean i was at three monkeys you know we were doing stuff for microsoft that was going through the line for example so you know it, it's not it's not that it's not that suddenly the fourth angel is something amazingly bright and shiny and new but it is a it's a movement forward i would say to where most of the consultancies sit currently um, and, and it's exciting. And, 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 you know, ultimately, the great news is the proof's in the pudding. It's working. We're delivering campaigns that are 
really shifting business as well as brand sentiment, uh, selling products, doing whatever everything that we'd want to do, um, and helping businesses look in on themselves and really get their purpose proposition right. Um, and finally, I guess, you know, we're not having to pitch that often. We are, as Sarah said, we're attracting, as no doubt we're repelling some people as well, but we're magnetically bringing towards us some amazing brands and multiple sectors to do corporate B2B consumer all in one story um, telling job. Perfect. But yeah, there's one thing that is of no doubt, Angie, is that you do have a good network. So I've no doubt that is helping grow the business um, a fair bit. Angie Boxham, founder and CEO of The Fourth Angel, and Sarah Perry, managing director. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.